the managers should treat employees like adults. And if employees don't behave properly, the managers have decisions to make about course correcting. But I think that especially, you know, what I've seen in my career is managers try to micromanage their way into respect and authority with employees. And that just never works, right? No one wants to work in that environment. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 3% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Good day, Lead the Team Nation. I've got a great one in store for you today with Kelly Scheib, who is the Chief People Officer over at Crunchbase. She's also served in senior leadership roles over at Proterra, Tyndall Corporation, and Hubble Lighting. Now, if you're not familiar with it, which you probably are, but if you're not, Crunchbase is the leading provider of private company prospecting and research solutions. 70 million users, including salespeople, entrepreneurs, investors, and market researchers, use Crunchbase to prospect for their new business opportunities. Well, Kelly received her undergraduate and master's degree from Penn State University, a mother of five, and foster care advocate. Kelly, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Ben, for having me. So glad to have you on today. And y'all, we got to talk a little bit about work-life balance right out of the gate, because holy smokes, we were, we were talking about Disney before we got on here. We just got back from a, a jaunt to Disney World. She's a, she's a big Disney fan with her family. We're talking five kids. We're talking chief people officer of a major company. What advice do you have from <laughs> Disney and work-life balance? Oh goodness. Well, Disney is Disney is all things for my family. So we could talk about Disney on a separate podcast, but big super Disney fan, big mm-hmm. super Disney family. Best, um, as I best told you ride, before, the- best ride. We we don't discriminate, right? Mm. Like we're like we're equal opportunity. All parks. We want to be involved in all parks, different rides, different times. I am like a. I would say there's nothing more important to me when we go to Disney, and we go a lot. Than capturing those like oh, those are those perfect moments, right? Those perfect mm. mama moments where your baby sees their favorite princess or you're at the fireworks and just Disney does it right. They give you all the feels and it's amazing. And I love all of my time there. Mm -hmm. I was telling you before, it's where I feel closest to my fellow parent because like everyone starts Disney days, like so excited, right? They're in the matching shirts. We got the bands. We're all good. Everyone's pumped. And by the end of the night, like you are feeling those parents, everyone's grouchy, parents are screaming at their children, kids are crying. <laughs> and I just feel like, I feel like those are the people I need to go have a glass of wine with at that very moment, yes, right? I'm like, yes, those are my indeed. people. Those are my people. Yeah. The meltdowns commence and the parents, uh, yeah, there's like a knowing glance between the parents. Like, oh yeah, your kid's spinning out of control. It is there out way past her bedtime. Or and, it's, uh, or 
there's, I'm not going to lie. Like I have been known to like stare at my husband and be like, not mine. Right. <laughs> like, so you have like a little kid screaming on the ground and you're really excited when it's yeah. not like one of my five, because chances are really strong that it could be. <laughs> so like, I get very excited. I'm like, yeah, the probability is not, not very good. If you've got five with you, one's, one's probably going to be on the edge by the end of the night. One. Remember. Normally they're crying. I'm I'm crying. It's a whole thing. And then we get up yeah. the next day and we do it again. It's all good. Yeah, it's great. Well, well let's talk about the work-life balance piece of this because I'm really I'm really curious as a as an executive and you know being a parent, what advice do you have? It's, maybe it's advice for things to do or maybe not to do for other leaders out there who are trying to sort of find that way to work things. Yeah. So I don't believe in work-life balance. I think there are going to be times in your life where work wins. And I think there are going to be times in your life where life wins. Um, look, I'm, I'm a work in progress. <laughs> I would not say that by any stretch of the imagination, I have it all figured out. Um, I would say that I also don't do it alone. I have mm. this incredible partner in crime who really helps my husband, by the way, like, yeah, um, who really helps take a lot of the load off. We, mm-hmm. we have additional help and support too. So I'm not in it alone. And I also think that I'm, you know, I'm a work in progress. I try all the tips. I try all the trip, you know, I, I schedule myself. I'm very dedicated. I'm very, you know, I like to work when the house is quiet. So you'll see me schedule, you'll see me send emails and messages at like four in the morning because that's when I work best, but I'm comatose at 8 p.m. So mm-hmm. that's just, you know, you mm-hmm. kind of have to figure out what works for you and works for your family. I wouldn't be one to sit up. I, you know, I've done it. I've given speeches about work-life balance and tried to prescribe the way it works. But the reality is like every season changes and everybody's circumstance is a little different. You have to figure out what works mm. for you and your family. Um, and don't feel guilty about letting some balls drop. We were just discussing how very intentionally I let some balls drop because they needed to drop because other things needed to focus. Um, and that's, you know, I guess that would be, that would be advice, right? Like, know when some balls need to drop. Yeah. And that's, that's hard for classic executive overachievers to do sometimes without a whole lot of maybe self-negative talk about, I should be able to do this. Yeah, I've yeah. got you know multiple degrees. I'm like chief people officer. I'm all these things and giving yourself permission to let the balls drop where they may. But I think before that step, what I liked is you talked about really understanding the situation. It sounds like the word that kept up to my mind was, you know, Kelly's prioritizing like crazy and knowing like based on the season, based on family, based on what needs to happen, making that the most important thing and then letting some things be a little bit looser. Yeah. I think you just have to really be, look, my husband always says that if I'm not running on chaos, I'll volunteer for more opportunities. So, um, <laughs> which quiet. is I need more to not do. untrue. Right. So like the goal is to, for me, for me personally, just be busy enough where you feel like you're kind of going nuts and not like, don't let the, don't let the cup runneth over. Right. Like don't let it spill over, but just get to the very, very tippy edge. Cause if not, I'm likely to volunteer for more. <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes that quiet can feel uncomfortable. And auto mm-hmm. for me, I'm like, oh man, I'm having this time. What am I gonna do with it? I but, but before we get to that, I want to say one thing that popped up for me too, what you were describing was 4 a.m. Yeah. And 
I can totally relate to that. I discover that I'm an early morning person and do my best work early. But like so many people that do that, end of the day can be a challenge, right? Dinner yeah. time, bedtime with kids because you're running on fumes. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's so important. Like, did you always know that you were a morning person or is it something you discovered later in life? That always. I said, okay. like, I was the lunatic fourth grader who would set my alarm at 5.55 a.m. Like, that was my thing. I set my alarm now at 3.45 a.m. every morning, Monday through, like, all weekend, right? So, like, every day of the week because I feel like that is my, that's prime time, right? Um, I've been using the Pomodoro method for getting stuff done and I schedule my Pomodoros in the morning. And that's how I get like, that's how I eat my frog, right? Like that's how I get done all of those obnoxious things that I really have been procrastinating, but are going to actually make me feel accomplished at the end of the week. Um, Mm. so those are the things I do in the morning. That's how I schedule my life. And then, and then I can, and not coast the rest of the day, but like, that's when I have focus for the meetings. That's when I'm not necessarily trying to multitask during the conference call because it's done, right? That stuff is done. Wow. I'm glad you said the Pomodoro technique. It's amazing to me how like for people that are using it's like common vernacular, like Pomodoro technique. Yeah. So what, so people are listening and like, why is she talking about tomatoes? Like, What, <laughs> what is this? Do you want to describe sort of what yeah. how you use the Pomodoro and, and what it is for you? And so the Pomodoro technique, I I read in a couple of different books, but probably the book I would point to that really was really life changing for me was Indistractable. Hmm. Um, and so the Pomodoro technique is the concept of twenty five minutes on, five minutes off. Twenty five minutes on, five minutes off. So you take a break in those 25 minutes, but it's like 25 minutes of focused time. So pick a project, pick a frog. Like I like to say those things Mm -hmm. you really, really don't want to do. You pick it 25 minutes. You can do, you can devote 25 minutes. And what you end up finding is that like when you're in your groove, you don't necessarily have to take your break. So you can add another 25 minutes on, you can add another 25 minutes on. So I will find myself like for the really annoying things, I'll give it 25 minutes and I'll move on. But for things that once I get in my groove, like I can go 50 minutes of like straight, mm. like indistractable time. That's my focus time. And then I take a break. Um, my head is going in a million directions all the time. I have the the constant running list. So those are moments where I know like, and I see the clock, the clock is you know, I have it on my computer. I have an mm-hmm. app on my computer. It like winds down and I see it happening. And like this morning, for instance, was a great morning where I was really stuck and I was really stuck and I was really stuck on a problem. And I saw I had like 15 minutes left. And I was like, you've got 15 minutes. You're going to sit here and you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. I did it. I got out of my, I got out of the space that I was in and we, you know, I moved on. And now that Pomodoro is done for the day. Lovely, lovely example. And I love how you walked us through like real time what just happened. So, yeah, you know, using the Pomodoro. And it is amazing. One of the books that that I initially heard more about it was a Cal Newport uh, Deep Work, where yeah. he was, and he talked yeah. about this formula of uh, work accomplished equals time plus intensity. And I was just talking to my daughter about this. who's 11 and she's getting in middle school. And she has more homework 
And this tendency to sort of let, oh, I'm just kind of working on the homework versus I've got 15 minutes. Yeah. How much can I get done in 15 minutes? And I think if we, uh, it's amazing how long I went in life without really thinking about that. Uh, Even in college studying, I was completely clueless about that idea, but I would get upset with my roommate who would just cram the night before and do equally as well as I did on the test. He'd been studying a little bit along and along in the library. I mean, for me, it's the little bit like those Pomodoros make, that's about as much as I can focus on specific tasks at a time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at times. Right. So that actually works for me and that will help me, you know, I'm working on a big strategic plan right now. And like, that will actually, I know that I can't sit down for five hours and just like crank out the plan. I have to iterate in my head. I have to iterate on paper. I have to like think about all the things. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's probably going to be a three week presentation for me, right? Where I'm just going to work on it, a Pomodoro at a time and I'll get through it. Um, and, but I'll feel accomplished every day because that was the task of the day. And that's what was done. I love I'm a, I'm a checkbox girl, right? So um, like many millennials, I will write things down just to check them off the list. So a checkbox girl. I love it. I love the checkbox executive. Uh, yeah, because you you know it. And I think one of the keys to that, of course, is setting it up like you are in advance. A lot of times people go to get the, get to the Pomodoro and they're like, well, I have my Pomodoro today, but I can't. He's like spent so much time trying to figure it out beforehand of what they're going to actually work on. But you're planning that so much in advance. When that time hits, you're not in your head thinking about what's the best thing for me to do. You've already done that mental exercise. So it's just plug away at it. Is this something, Do you have you had this discussion with teammates, employees, family members? Do you sort of spread the Pomodoro gospel or is it something I've you certainly talked yourself? to teammates about it. <laughs> I've certainly talked to teammates about it. Um <laughs> My family members, I, my husband is always a fabulous example because like he'll walk into my office at, you know, 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning and I, I will have my Pomodoro timer on. He'll be like, oh, 17 minutes and 23 seconds. I will be back. Um, and I'm like, that's right. Like, walk away. Do not come back. Um, so look, this is what works for me. This is not. and And this is about the season that I'm in this may not be the reality for everyone. And I think that that's Mm. probably, that's probably the most factual thing I can say is, you know, you have to do what works for you. I can give tips and tricks that work for me, but my story is different. My season is different. And what is happening in my world today, you know, six months from now, I may be looking at something totally different and need to do totally different things Mm -hmm. to adapt. And I think that adaptability and that resiliency is really what has helped me in my career and life in general. Yeah. And it reminds me like a jigsaw puzzle where you're trying to piece together your work priorities, your personal priorities, your family's priorities, and whatever you happen to be in life, making sure you're being thoughtful about it. Yeah. yeah I've seen myself work. go off the rails a good bit um, in my life, right? I've seen myself do too much work, um, burn myself out. Um, do too much life, not feel accomplished enough at work, feel like I was failing at everything. Um, so I've seen myself do it all. And it's really about acknowledging when you're in that space and pulling yourself back out. 
And that hasn't always been easy for me. So where where does this awareness come from? Or where do you, because sometimes the, things can get so darn busy, you kind of lose yourself and where you are. I mean, all leaders run into that. Yeah. Do you have a process of or a, a, like a daily process or, or some kind of reflection process that helps you get or maintain perspective? I mean, I have a daily process every morning where I'm like planning my life and probably the most uneasy you can you can tell, right? Because you know your you know how you feel, right? And I've certainly felt uneasy, even as of late, um, felt uneasy in my space, uneasy in the balance that I had. Um, it didn't feel like I was doing a good job anywhere. Um, and and I knew something, I knew something needed to change, right? Mm-hmm. I knew that I needed to make some changes to to better balance our life. And for us and for our family, that meant getting more help, right? Understanding that I was so, overcommitting so myself in different in areas. Way. Excuse so, me? So, so going about building your team. Is, is that what Building you're... my family team probably right, more. Right, your family support yeah. team. Yeah, my family support team. And also knowing I needed to let some things drop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm not... So for me to say no to something... I had a coach one time who told me, she's like, what are you saying no to to say your big yes, Kelly? What are you saying no to? And I was like, I don't say no to anything because I can do anything. And that's just not true. I can do mm-hmm. anything. I can't do everything. And I watched myself not being successful in a lot of different places just because mm-hmm. I was spread entirely too thin. And so uh, I, you mentioned a coach. Have you had a coach for a long time? Is that part of your self-reflection process? I've had right. a coach. I don't okay. currently have a coach. I'm in the market for a coach. Um, and I, um, mm. but yes, no, I've had, I've had executive coaches help me through the process. Honestly, mm-hmm. I'm also an executive coach, right? I'm a registered executive coach or corporate coach. Coaches are fabulous fabulous, fabulous advocates for space. Hmm. All coaches do is give you space, space you weren't taking for thinking. Um, Even when I'm a coach, I will oftentimes get on calls or I have oftentimes gotten on calls with different coaches. And I'm like, isn't it amazing that all I'm here to do is make you, is force you to give yourself space to think. It's all I'm doing. Um, It's a remarkably trendy thing for just space. Yeah, it's there's something about having that level of accountability to be in the space versus a rush on the next thing because like it's on your calendar. It is. I know they're going to ask me a whole bunch of questions. They are. And I'm probably not going to be able to just checklist it to death. I'm going to have to sit there and think about my answer. And yeah, it does uh, it does make you go deep. I've had coaches for years and that's frankly, that's one of the reasons I became one because I was like, man, this is so amazing. And I always, as a coach, I get so much from my people I work with in terms of I'm fully present with them because that's part of the job and it, it makes me better. So it's amazing how we can do that for, for each other as humans. I, yeah, I know coaching hit for me has been a remarkable gift, um, mm. both in doing it and being coached as well. Um, Cause you're right. They're going to ask there, there is an accountability factor to it. Um, but there's also like, not, I always say the best coaching questions are the, are the best coaching sessions are the ones where you feel really uncomfortable at the end. Cause that's growth, right? So well, that's what learning feels like. Yeah. 
it feels really uncomfortable. Yeah. If you're so comfortable and you're so cozy and you're it's like, I feel so good. One of the yeah. coaching sessions, and I'll just share this, this is super personal. I, I had a phenomenal coach, Cindy Lemire with Impact Business Coaches, who's remarkable. She was my coach for a long time and she's just a joy. I was going through a lot of like personal stuff and I was adopting babies and I was doing a whole bunch of stuff. And I remember she made me kind of like plan out or like make a list of all the things that I was doing and organize my list essentially and make a six block of the things that were priorities for me for the, like the quarter. These are my priorities. These That's are the a things good corporate I was framework, the, the six block. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. It was something, whatever it was. And one of the things I noticed when I wrote out my six block was that there was like one important human who was not on the six block. Um, and I like, it just, it was like an aha for me and it was my husband, um, who is amazing and phenomenal and would have never said anything, but would have continued to be neglected if I wasn't making him an intentional part of my six block. Um, and it was, you know, that had nothing to do with work. But it's very clear my focus was everywhere else. It was kids. It was work. It was fostering. Mm -hmm. It was adopting. It was all the things. But he wasn't a part of that story. Um, While he was part of my story, he wasn't intentionally something I was focused on. And I was like, well, good golly, I'm going to neglect him. And that can't be. He's got to be. He's got to be like a number one here. And it really changed the way I thought about how intentional I was about Mm -hmm. different things in my life. What a beautiful moment. It was you know, it, that, that it's just a simple exercise. You're like, Oh, I'm not actually operating the way that I want to operate. Uh, and you know, once you have that visibility, then you can make a change. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just, but otherwise we, we just keep, you know, I have similar situations too, where I just operate in blindness to that. And uh, yeah, a great coach and or a great coaching exercise or even a great Self-awareness, self-reflection process can help help reveal that. Yeah. No, it was phenomenal for me. And it was, it was an aha moment. And it just, you have to know what to keep first, right? In your life. And um that needed to stay first in my life. And my kids needed to stay first. And there couldn't be, they were just non-negotiables. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So just kind of staying in that realm for a minute. I mean, what what is your passion for fostering? Oh, goodness. Um, I just, foster care has got to be part of my story forever um, because it was, it was just a broken road that led me there. Um, I always talk about the broken road that led me right, right to my babies. Um, so I adopted Charlie and Cassidy from foster care when, um, they were, I guess, respectively like 18 months and five months, their sisters, we fostered for many years and have fostered many, many children. Um, foster care for me was a journey brought about by, a cancer diagnosis of my brother that ultimately led to his untimely death, which ultimately led me to be unable to have any more children. Long, long story, not going to get into it. But anyway, long story that ultimately led me to a place where I couldn't have any more children. And um, 
I wanted to add to my family. So my sweet and beautiful husband sat me down one time and he's like, listen, we have three beautiful, healthy babies and it's been an easy road. Like he's like, if we're going to do this, let's do it the really, really hard way. And I said, let's do it. And we signed out to be foster parents and good golly, was it the hardest way? Mm. Um, And he, you know, his comment to me was if a baby needs us, they'll find us. Um, And many babies have needed us along the way. And I've had the privilege of being a mom to many um, over the course of our foster journey. Um, And as I said earlier, so we're not a, a, a licensed foster home right now. Because if I have any any bandwidth, I'm likely to adopt more children. So my husband was like, you need to stop. We need to stop adopting babies. We have five kids. Um, but we have stayed strong advocates in the space. I actually became a guardian at Lydom for the foster care system. So I actually go mm-hmm. to court and advocate on behalf of children um, in the system to stay very actively involved and stay very close to their case mm-hmm. to ensure that like the system doesn't fail them. And uh, so that's that's my new that is my new um, I guess way that I'm channeling that along with serving on the board of directors for a nonprofit organization called Fostering Great Ideas, which is a remarkable organization that really helps um, in the gap while children are in foster care mm. um, to to serve them in a, a myriad of different ways. Um, so, so that's how I'm channeling that passion right now, wow. whether one day I will become a foster licensed foster parent again, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I think that question is probably more my husband's because I would open my home tomorrow and raise even more babies. Wow. 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 That, that's an incredible part of your journey, uh, yeah. that I didn't really know a lot about that. Yeah. Um, amazing, uh, and inspiring in so many ways sort of thinking about the people listening today. Um, what have you gleaned from that experience that you think other people, other leaders um, should know about? I mean, I think We were doing something as a family that was something we never thought we could do. And I think that that is something with foster care specifically, you often hear. Hmm. Can't be a foster parent. You know, we hear that all the time. I, I, I would just get too attached. I would, it would be so hard for me to get give them away and, or give them back. And, and the stories are so sad. And I think for us, because I have to speak for myself and my husband when I say this, like it was about getting so in the weeds and so messy in the weeds that we, we were doing something we never thought was possible. Mm. Um, and, and so for leaders, like, I guess nothing is impossible and the art of the possible, like, you know, I just, I always operate in the, what should I do um, that I never thought I could do. Right. And that could be a mm. million different things. Now, I will say the concept of like do good is important, right? It's actually a value at Crunchbase, right? Um, how you how you do something bigger, how you do something even better for society, for the world is an important part of your life journey. So I think that 
leaders or people in general or any listeners should always think about like, like what am I doing to level up the world? Not just mm. what am I doing in my own space? Like, what are you doing to level up the world? Yeah, I really see that about how you're living that as a leader. Uh, thinking beyond just the space where you're an expert and the world at large and uh, making an impact and making making space for it sounds like your approach is making space for serendipity for the for things to happen that uh are unpredictable in, in, yeah. you know in a world and in a, in a in a very beautiful way and it just seems like a in a world too where control can feel so good like i am controlling this if i do this i do this this is going to get this result I'm going to keep, you know, and I'm executive and I'm right. But now, you know, you're expanding your family and uh, you're getting into other spaces where maybe they're a little more unpredictable. But yeah, you're and I mean, that. nothing is more unpredictable yeah. than than that the foster care space. Um, but it is, you know, it's it's part of my journey and wildly passionate about it. But I think there's lots of ways where you can do good, right? Lots of ways where you can. Just be very intentional about ensuring that you're doing good. Whew. I'm not even sure, like, I can even ask you businessy questions now because, <laughs> though, but uh, ultimately for the, for the people listening, those are the business questions because I, I feel like you let your, your, you let your personal life and your experiences inform your leadership style and how you approach it. And I believe that ultimately at a foundational level, uh, that probably makes you a fine chief people officer. I can't say it was intentional. I can say that it's just me, right? So I'm an open book. Um, it's actually like, you know, I'm an open book. I am who I am. This is what you see is what you get, kind of all the things. And um, I don't know of another way to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Crunchbase affords me the opportunity to be 100% myself. Um, and that's why I'm so excited to be a part of this organization. Well, let's, so let's kind of move into organizational world for a second. So for the listeners, because people could be listening to this two years from now, maybe describe sort of the hiring landscape. So we had the greater resignation. Some people didn't ever saw it. Some people did. Some people argue it never, it never happened or it, I mean, lots of people saying it, whatever happened, but it seemed like. For that time, people just couldn't find employees, right? It was it was so difficult or people were resigning and all that. Maybe you paint the picture on where we are today and how are leaders maybe doing right in terms of how they ap- approach the the hiring environment or and what are some of maybe the, the mistakes that you're seeing out there? I have so many opinions on this. Um, so as would. someone that resigned, um, I will yeah. say the great resignation was real. Um, mm, okay. And we saw it, right? We saw it. I saw it on the people side of the house at Proterra. I left Proterra um, and then ultimately joined Crunchbase. I think that what we saw was employees having optionality and they had options to to do different things. They had options to try different things. They had the option to do, you know, try out different spaces and employers were desperate for employees. So they were giving opportunities when they ordinarily probably would not have given opportunities. 
Um, I think what I'm what I'm seeing in the market now, which I actually think is really dangerous, is a lot of employers during the Great Resignation came out and were boastful about how incredible their organization was. We're the best and we have this program and that program and all the things. And you're seeing them roll back some of the Mm -hmm. things that they were so boastful about. One of the things that I saw just the other day in the Wall Street Journal was about maternity leave benefits starting to get rolled back, which I think is despicable. Um, But so I think that while you're seeing the pendulum swing back towards more employer friendly environments mm-hmm. versus employee friendly environments. Meaning that, meaning that supply and demand shifted where yeah. certain jobs, the, the, the employees don't call the shots as much on, on job opportunities and, and employers are having more of a equal bargaining foot. Yeah. I think the, that the pendulum okay. is shifting and look, okay. I've seen it on both ends. I've seen it as an employee and I've seen it as part of the people org. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that employers just have to be super careful about what they're willing to roll out and what they're willing to pull back on. Because while I believe that organizations have the upper hand right now in parts, memories memories are real. (laughs) And how you're treated is real. And you'll remember that. And it won't always reviews don't go away. Yeah. Yeah, like, no, oh, Glassdoor reviews don't go away. Glassdoor reviews yeah. don't go away. And more importantly, like the last thing you want within an organization is, an, is a group of employees who are just apathetic about being there. Um, mm. So be careful, right? Especially, especially if you're boastful, right? So it, it's just, it's annoying, quite frankly, to see organizations come out and rant and rave about all all of these phenomenal benefits that they're now pulling back kind of in the name of the great reset, like the new recession or whatever it's going to be. I just think you have to be really careful as an employer about what you give because you may have to take it away. So be mindful of that. Yeah. Companies did things to create more stick for their organizations or attraction perhaps during that period. And now, yeah, what are they going to, how much change, are they going to make? Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the things I think about it from this standpoint, I'd be curious on, on, on your, you know, you know, from your perspective, managers, even if they're not making the call for the overall company, they can really affect their team with freedom, with responsibility, with accountability, with really making it a better work environment, sort of give those benefits to them, even outside of what the organization can do. And, but I think a lot of leaders do it and maybe they're like letting them work remote a day or two a week and how in that environment, how do they, how much control do they try to assert on their, on their teams and whatnot? What's, what's your recommendation for say a team leader that has a team and they're like, man, I am, I've been really. I, I want to create the right environment for my team. So they want to stay, but also I want to create the environment where we operate effectively as a team. And uh, it's really 
trying to find that right balance. Yeah. Oh, remote work is such a like hot button right now. Um, so. And Crunchbase is all remote, right? Mainly. Crunchbase or? is fully remote. It's fully a remote. fully remote okay. first right, yep. organization. Mm-hmm. Um, they drew, the, you know, I actually think what Crunchbase did so well is they drew the line in the sand and they said, we're going to be remote first. Mm-hmm. Where I think a lot of organizations like are still like, well, kind of maybe two days, three days, one day, four days, like manager specific, all the things. And I think that that confuses employees. Um, I think employees deserve to know kind of what their life is going to look like at an employer. Um, and the constant back and forth and back and forth is really challenging for employees. And I th- I can understand that during the pandemic when surges force people to go back and forth. But I think now we're at a point now where the whole like two days in, now I want you three days in, now I want you four days in yeah. is just a, it's just a push to five days in, quite frankly. Um, I think, I think managers should treat employees like adults. Um, and I think managers should manage behaviors that are less than appropriate for the workplace. Right. So like, I don't know why we, I think there are expectations about how you get your work done for every organization that looks a little different, but I think managers should treat employees like adults. And if employees don't behave properly, the managers have decisions to make about course correcting. But I think that especially, you know, what I've seen in my career is managers try to micromanage their way into respect and authority with employees. And that just never works, right? No one wants to work in that environment. Mm. Um, So I think that if you're capable of if you're capable of managing well, you're also capable of treating your employees like adults. I love it. It's not easy for people that have worked in the office's environment for a long time. And maybe there's some fear of, well, if I can't see him working and email isn't necessarily a direct or accurate measure of work accomplished, does it mean they did Pomodoro's on yeah, the right thing? You're measuring the wrong thing then. Right. You're measuring like you're measuring a Mm -hmm. button, a seat versus you're measuring work product. And I think that organizations that succeed will measure work product. It's a shift. How many hours like does it really matter how many hours someone works if you're measuring if if they're performing? Should it? Big question. I would say value for sure value over hours but it's a huge there's uh employees feel guilty if they're not working i mean it's like working hours versus quality hours and quality hours may be less than working hours but at that point as a leader you've got to ask yourself do you care do you care i think your organization should care (laughs) I think your bottom line should care. You've got employees taking up space and collecting a paycheck, but not actually performing versus another employee who could work less hours, perform and collect the same paycheck and actually contribute to the bottom line. What do you prefer? It seems like a no brainer answer in so many ways, but so many people are uncomfortable with that. Employees too. They're like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do my hours today. Well, okay. What are you producing out of those hours? And what's the impact 
that it's making. And then also, does anybody actually even know that you're making that kind of impact that you say you're making? A lot of yeah, times, no. I can certainly see it from an employee's perspective. I totally can see it from an employee's perspective um, because I do think it's kind of been drilled into our head that you are to work X number of hours per day and then you're supposed to like, but we're not, I, I think it's about work product. And I think that if you can, if you're, if your company is providing you with enough meaningful work, then you, and you can do that work in, you know, in appropriate time where you're not like burning yourself out, then like you're allowed to, uh, you're allowed to leave at four o'clock on a Friday, in my opinion, right? Like there shouldn't be this, like you're sitting at your seat until the clock st- yeah, strikes. Suddenly the, the whole flexibility question makes so much more sense because, well, what have I contributed and if I've impacted the bottom line like this, then it does, it, to me, it really leads to more flexible work schedule for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. And look, I don't think yeah. that's easy, right? I'm not going to sugarcoat yeah. the fact that that's easy because the it's idea is easy, but implementing yeah. it is a, is, is a huge conversation one-on-one with your manager or your company, Certainly, but that's the right, that's the right conversation from my perspective. I don't know. What do you think? No, I think it's the right conversation to have. It's not easy, right? I think that if you're not making widgets every single day, that's a very hard conversation to have because measuring productivity is actually something that few employers do, right? They measure time. You just hit the nail on the head. Well, y'all, I don't know how to do it. I can't say that I have like the secret sauce for how to do it, but I can say that. I've seen organizations do it very, very well. My organization does it very, very well. We have core hours for collaboration. Outside of that is asynchronous work. Beautiful. Yeah, I love that. And I think one of the one of the things I hear is that's a missing conversation. And part of the job of a leader, and we talk about this on the show a lot, is to introduce new conversations. And honestly, people tune into this podcast because they're interested in like, what are the missing conversations? And I don't even know, some of them may not even realize that was a missing conversation until they heard you say it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just important that people take away from the show today uh, that, you know, kickstart that conversation because employees, we are having that conversation, they're more likely to stay and be engaged because they know that you're thinking about not just working through working with them on the hours, but also talking about the impact of their work. And everyone wants to be able to say, how did your, when, when, when you, someone says, Hey, Hey honey, how did your work week go? And everybody wants to respond with, it was great. And I made a huge impact versus, you know what? I have no idea how it went. <laughs> I just worked my hours and went home. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think it's different. Like, I think it's different, right? I think I think you have to be mindful of the type of organization, the type of industry. There's there's a lot of different factors that I think play a part in work hours and work and productivity and things of that nature. For instance, a nurse working a 12-hour shift is very, very impactful during those entire 12 hours where she's caring for patients or he's caring for patients. Um and I think that, so it's different, right? I think that we have to just be mindful of the industry that you're working in and the type of environment that you're able to, mm-hmm. where you're able to measure productivity, because I don't think that 
it's equal or it can be equal in every industry or every mm-hmm. type of work. Yeah. Have a conversation, y'all. This is a great place for us to land the plane today because it ties into the Pomodoro about in- intensity during your work hours in the morning with how do you figure out work-life balance for yourself based on the season you're in and the job you have and the company. And, and I mean, you, you gave us a ton of conversation starters as leaders to have with our teams and also other people. Uh, parting thought, Kelly. Well, thank you for having me. I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to be here. And um, yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.